Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'll be interviewing Kelly and Cheryl Boyd. They planted a church in Eugene, Oregon, home of the University of Oregon, the Ducks. Kelly works as a minister while Cheryl is a doctor and has started a medical clinic and works full-time there. They have a dream of planting small churches throughout Oregon and beyond, and are experimenting with different ways to get that job done. I'm personally interested in what they have to say because I was born in Oregon and have planted two churches there in the past, one in Portland in the north and one in the south in the Ashland-Medford area. I love that part of the country and look forward to hearing about what they're doing. Kelly and Cheryl, thanks for joining the show today. Yes, thank you. Great to have you guys on. Now, can you tell me, how how'd you guys become Christians? Um, for me, um, I was attending the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida. So yes, I, I am a gator too, as well as a duck. <laughs> but in fall 1979, um, I met uh, some Christians, some disciples, and started attending Bible talk in the dormitories, was baptized in Christ uh, on November 18th in 1979. Uh, something just happened recently that is, brings tears to my eyes, my uh, the the brother, uh, Christ, who first reached out to me, John Mahagan, uh, lives in Orlando and is part of the Orlando Church and, uh, today. And my son was taking a, a spring break time uh, away from medical school where he uh, was finishing up his second year. And he went down to Orlando and stayed with John. And they had a lot of conversations about the past and me becoming a Christian. And John pulled out some old photos while my son was staying at his house with him and John and his wife, Cynthia. And this is a picture that he took a picture of to send to me. There I am from 1979 or early 80. Uh, I look like I'm from, I'm from the, uh, the, the, the seventies there, my OP shirt. And, uh, uh, look at that. Look at that. Belushi look at that hair. Wall and, <laughs> Love it. But it, it, here I thought my son about 25 in medical school is staying with a, the brother who reached out to me 40 years ago. And they're pulling out pictures from the past and talking and, and encouraged my son. He even took a you know, picture of one of those and sent it to me uh, via text or something in that. But I just uh, thought about that. What a what an amazing life we get to live as Christians. That's right. How about you, Cheryl? Christian 40 years ago. And here my son is uh, uh, staying at his house overnight and, and, and talking to you know, good old days with him. So that was very encouraging to me. Cheryl, right. I want to show a little bit about yeah. her conversion story. Well, uh, I, I guess I'd say that I was a speaker from about the time I was 13. So uh, I did a lot of, I went to Bible camp and um, visited different churches through my life. And then um, when I was going off to uh, my residency in medicine, I was at a place where I really did want to find a fellowship. And I just found that nobody had time for one another anywhere hmm. I went. And that really bothered me. I thought it should be more of a family. And so that kept me looking. And so finally, I, I well, I would invite each of the, we'd have different teams each uh, couple of months. And each time I had a new team, I would say, hey, I'm going to go visit churches. You guys want to come with me? And finally, this one older resident said to me, you know, Cheryl, I don't want to go with you, but you sound like Gary Jacques. So at that point, oh I gosh. I thought, oh, Gary Jacques, okay. So then there was the Christmas party, 
And I finally got to meet Dr. Jacques, who was two years ahead of me. And I said, Gary, I'm supposed to meet you because I'm supposed to go to church with you. <laughs> and that's how I got invited to church. And, and, so then and where, was that, where was that at, Cheryl? That was in Nashville, Tennessee. I was part of uh, the Vanderbilt program there. Okay. Okay. So it's interesting. I went to school with his younger sister, Joanne Jacques. And so that, that they've got a big family, lots of brothers and sisters. Yeah. And, and so that, that's a cool story. So how did you two guys meet? We met in, uh, in Nashville and, uh, the, uh, church there that Cheryl was a part of, along with another church just outside of Nashville, asked the Boston church to be able to send down leadership because they wanted to start a, you know, daily discipleship of Jesus. And they wanted some leadership that could lead them that way. And so I got to go, uh, uh, to, the planting in Nashville as the campus and singles leader. And lo and behold, Cheryl was there and I was single and she was single. And we met and went on a few dates and, uh, not, uh, not fireworks, uh, at first, but oh, different type of fireworks, uh, a little, uh, little conflict between, but I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed that, uh, that flavor about her. She, uh, she wasn't a pushover. She had convictions and beliefs and she stood her ground and that hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> and things went from there. Wow. Okay. So, you came down as a minister to help out. Is that what you yes. did? Okay, from Boston. Okay, so you were, you became a Christian in Gainesville, went up to Boston, and then got sent out in the early eighties. Right. What year was that when you went out to Nashville? Well, it was nineteen eighty eight, and uh, we moved. I moved from um, Boston to Nashville, and uh, we're working over at the Vanderbilt campus, and as well as a couple other campuses uh, in the city and nearby. And uh, Cheryl was uh, had done her residency at Vanderbilt Medical Center and was actually employed as one of the doctors in the clinics um, at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, she and I met, I think, the, the first big event we had, uh, the hoedown out mm-hmm. Mount Juliet, and uh, and uh, that's where we got the, uh, our, our first mm-hmm. chance to meet. Okay. Well, yeah, t- can I just share for a moment? Go ahead. Gratitude that um, I just want to say a shout out to people in small churches that van- um the Nashville church was small at that time when I first showed up. And let's just say there weren't a lot of single men mm. in the church. Uh, but I think that it's amazing how God will work things out. Yes. You, you don't, if you will put God first, I found in my life that he works the details out. Brock Kelly. Um, I think uh, I just wanted to say that, that a lot of people said, Hey, you should move to a bigger church. There's really nobody suitable for you. But I knew that there was something about Nashville I was supposed to be there. So, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is a big concern, and I I think, you know, for disciples who feel like, hey, I want to date, I want to date and marry a disciple, you know, that's that's limiting the pool, you know, big times to go. Okay, I want I want someone who shares my convictions and who really wants to make a difference with their life along with me. Like, what have you found? Because I, I think that's challenging. I think there's people that are listening like, man, I'd like to find someone great. I've already dated everybody in the church, all three of them. And, <laughs> you know, exactly. multi- multiple times, you know, yeah, various yeah. combinations, various double date combinations. And I don't see anybody. And and it's scary. It's It, it leads to feelings of desperation. And those those hits from, from people outside the kingdom of God become more and more enticing. Any, any thoughts? Yes. Uh, with the smaller churches getting planted here in Oregon, we uh, considered that. So something we have tried to uh, seed of thought we tried to plan is that 
if you don't find anybody within your home congregation, uh, you know, go out on dates with Christians from nearby, uh, you know, fellowships, mm-hmm. congregations. And so we've had probably eight to 10 marriages here in the last few mm-hmm. years. And many of them have been almost, um, not quite all, but almost all of them have been between someone here in Eugene meeting somebody else in one of the other Oregon churches. Wow. Uh, Portland mm-hmm. and uh, Corvallis and uh, Bend and and we have some dating relationships still going on from those. And uh, so it's been amazing to see uh, the, the brothers will hop in the car and go uh, drive down an hour or two to one of the other congregations, spend the weekend, uh, hang out with the single bros, but also uh, you know, arrange some, some dates to go on while they're there. And that's proven very fruitful in the, the matter of uh, dating relationships, engagements, and marriages happening. So we've been very encouraged that that's happening because when we started seeing these house churches uh, planted, we, we were concerned what would the dating look like? Because uh, we all know those in the ministry that many people uh, end up struggling in their commitment to God when they meet somebody that they're interested in that are, is not a Christian. And that can very easily pull them away from their commitment to God. So seeing so many relationships start between the different churches in Oregon has been so encouraging, has relieved that concern. That's so awesome. Great to hear that. And I think another thing that's, it's, you know, it really tests your relationship with God and your trust. Like, is he really looking out for me? Yeah. And um, I'm sure you felt that as a, a as an intern, you know, studying to be a doctor. I mean, it's not like you've got a lot of spare time to go around hunting around for a guy. Um, Thank you for phrasing it that way. I think the key is that's what you're not doing. You're not hunting around for a guy. I think what helped me... Trust me, I had lots of sisters that I'd cry on their shoulders with, uh, and that's important, and ask people to pray with me. But I think my deepest prayer was, God, I just want my life to honor you. Mm-hmm. And and I believe that uh, if you want me married, you're going to bring a person to my life. And I, I think I want to put a plug in for friendship dating, kingdom dating. Right. It's so important. I, I think I resolve that I just want to be a person that's an encouragement to my brothers. I want to appreciate my brothers. Yeah. And uh, that took care of a lot of the friendship needs that you have um, to, to feel that you have attention, but it's a pure attention. And it's, it's very helpful, helpful for warding off the need for more than that. Absolutely. And of course, the final thing is just really great friendships with your sisters because we need to be in there together. In the world, you're competitive, but in the kingdom, I learned to love. I learned to really care about my sisters. And so it was a very fulfilling life, even yeah. as a single. Right. Well, okay. So th- that's that's a great point. And I, I I th- we could just kind of spend a whole session just talking about that, but <laughs> yes. let's go ahead and move on. Maybe we'll come back to it later, but now you're a doctor and what kind of a doctor are you, Cheryl? Internal medicine doctor, which means that I see patients that are 16 years old and up and they could have any kind of problem. So I'm your, I'm your family doctor minus pediatric. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your schedule. I mean, I know that being an intern and going through the process of becoming a doctor is, is like years of schooling and then grueling schedule. How, how did you manage it? I mean, for people that want to make a difference, but at the same time, they're in a job that demands. I mean, they, they are just 
crunched. And what advice would you give them to stay connected to God and to the fellowship? Any, any thoughts? How, how did you do it? Okay, well, um, I would say the biggest, most important decision in your heart every day is that I belong to you, God. Uh, I think it starts by, uh, and there's a lot of opportunities out there, and I did deliberately choose opportunities that would allow me to not fall so much in love with the world. Uh, in other words, I, I, uh, I could have gotten more of an internship perhaps um, than I chose because I uh, decided I really want to go to a place where uh, I can stay in a, a routine of that. I have a quiet time. Right. That uh, I, I, um, I didn't understand. I was not a disciple when I chose my residency, but I was reading the Bible at that time. And I just knew I don't want to love the world. I want to use this for God. So it was, it, it, that would be the beginning that you really resolve that, that I am God's and I'm his servant. Uh, I think from there, uh, then once I saw commandments about um, joining uh, the fellowship and, and being part of that family, which I already wanted, which is ironic. Right. I didn't even really realize, but uh, that that was really important too. So uh, we didn't have texting back then. We didn't have even personal, well, I guess we had personal computers, but it was still rudimentary. Um, so it just is the good old phone and calling people and saying, hey, here I am. Um, I really worked on my schedules. Uh, I fought for my Sundays. I fought for my midweeks. I fought for Bible talk time. Um, I, I was willing to do that at each, at each, uh, in, uh, inroad or whatever in my life. That's great. Yeah. So what year did you become a Christian? You, did you, be, you became a Christian in Nashville? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and, uh, so 1988, May 30th, 1988, I was baptized. Um, I had been around the kingdom a bit before that. Okay, so 1988, and Gary Jacques reached out to you. Okay, one thing that I find interesting is you guys are what I would consider a non-traditional ministry couple. Yeah. Kelly, you work full-time right. serving the church. And Cheryl, you've worked as a doctor ever since you graduated from med school. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So tell me how that's worked. I, I, I know there's some people that are in like not typical situations, but how do you guys, how do you guys plan a church when you're both not, not doing the same exact thing? <laughs> well, it does have its challenges, especially having three kids as well. Oh my gosh. Uh, so uh, one of the things that Cheryl helped me with many years ago, 20 plus years ago, um, was us getting in the habit of praying together every morning for 30 to 45 minutes out loud, or I would, have, I would pray out loud, then she would pray out loud. Wow. And I tell you, it was a, an amazing transformation of our marriage, uh, of our family, of our schedule, of our demeanor, our uh, ability to get through a day. And so I look at that as one of the hallmarks of our relationship, being able to do what we do and still protect our marriage to protect our family is that we pray in the mornings that out loud there's tears sometimes uh there's there's feelings of, of uh, 
frustration or even anger that we, you know, comes out and, and as we pray and um, we get to deal with a lot of, of our internal uh, issues and we get to feel like each of us, have, yes, has our personal relationship with God. We also have our, our relationship to God together as a married couple. And I think that internally that sets us uh, in a good place every single day is to have this prayer time. Without that, I'm not sure things would have been as, as uh, successful in our marriage and family as they have been. Uh, I, I contribute God being involved in that, that those times of prayer to really set our day right each day. Yeah. So you guys still pray for like 15 to 45 minutes a day out loud? Yes. Uh, it's, it's usually at least 30 and a lot of times 45 uh, minutes where each of us pray out loud together uh, when we first wake up. Alarm goes off, and that's the first thing we do in the mornings is pray. I have to confess, when we first started this 20-something years ago, uh, it was very difficult for me because I used to like to pray by myself with a cup of coffee, walking outside somewhere in God's creation. <laughs> but the praying together in the mornings, I, laying in bed, it was hard for me sometimes to stay awake, just to be honest. <laughs> but um, uh, it, it, it changed my heart, and I'm very inspired by it and saw what it was doing to our, our, our day and our, our marriage and our family and my demeanor and attitude and Cheryl's and how we can work through problems in a much more effective way. And I thought, I like this. And uh, so it, it's inspired me. It's part of the day as the alarm goes off, we wake up and uh, we pray and uh, be able to pray out loud. Uh, our kids grew up hearing us pray in our rooms. Uh, even even our little dog would, would come in and, and wait patiently. As soon as we said the final amen, she got all excited because she knew it was time to eat. But she, she even knew. So the whole family knew you would know, be praying. That's, a, that's amazing. I think a lot of people... A lot of couples struggle even to say even a perfunctory prayer, just a two-minute prayer, let alone 30 minutes in the morning. That's amazing. And Rob, the truth is it's more like an hour. Um, Really, it's more like an hour together. And because it's more of a conversation with God, it, uh, it is very raw. It's very real. I am um, saying things out loud that I say by myself to God. And Kelly does the same. Uh, and I, I think what happens in all of it is a lot of communication on multiple levels because the uh, fight to emotionally be intact through this life, the fight to be able to go through discouragement and uh disappointment and uh and then to share the joys too it all happens starting there in the day and then uh i think we also get practicals out of it because i'll start praying let's say about oh and help the study tonight and then kelly will be like oh there's a study tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that practical. <laughs> and in days when we've only got one car, that matters. <laughs> so it saves us a lot of major communication later, believe it or not, mm. because uh, we tend to pray through our days. We tend to pray through our weeks. We tend to pray about the loved ones and then the people in the church. And so there's so much communication that's happening. Because we're talking uh, with God about a lot of the same things we're all concerned about. So um, it's just been a joy. And honestly, I loved praying by myself too, but I have never fallen asleep on a prayer time now since praying (laughs) with my husband. Whereas before, as a person just praying by myself all the time, there were days it was hard to get five minutes with God. So this has completely changed my attention span and enlarged my abilities. That's, that's, 
This is so, so practical and so helpful because I know that there are young couples listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh. I remember when Ed Townsend, he performed my wedding ceremony when Pam and I got married. And I remember Ed had a, back then it was like a sermon for the, you know, the wedding ceremony is like really kind of like preaching to the family and stuff. But one of the things he dropped in there is he said, now, Rob, I want to challenge you to pray every day with your wife. Wow. And I remember nodding and then thinking to myself, that's dumb. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I I was young. I was young and prideful. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And as a few years passed, I didn't do it and really caught up to me because we started to, you know, separate spiritually in a way, kind of drift, drift apart. And then I, you know, repented and got back on track. But I I think it's such a great practical. I mean, it's almost like a three-way conversation. It's between you and your husband and between God. And it's like, it serves such a powerful purpose to, to help you to do well spiritually and in your marriage. So, I think for guys, it's, I think for guys, you know, I know this is a generalization. I think it's tougher. I just think it's tough. I, I really commend you, Kelly, to, to do that because I know for me, it's more challenging. Yeah. It was challenging at first. Uh, I, I didn't do so well the first few months, but then uh, it changed my heart. That's awesome. Okay. Well, um, so basically, sure. You go off after your prayer, you go off to work to your clinic. Mm-hmm. You work from 730 to six or so. Seeing patients, yes. is that right? Okay. Well, not patients the whole time, but my entire day is fast moving and packed. Yes. Okay, and then yeah. Kelly, you're you're working as a minister. Right. Um, let, let's kind of go back. So Nashville, late '80s, and then you ended up in Eugene in 2015. Can you just give me a quick, like a quick summary of where you guys went, all the places you went to? Just, just give me a two minute update on on that timeline. Well, if I hit the GPS point to be from uh, Gainesville to Boston uh, to Nashville, then we went to Atlanta and then uh, Columbia and Charleston, South Carolina, both those places, and Atlanta and back Atlanta again, and uh, then uh, New Jersey with the New York City Church, and then oh, I forgot Toronto was in there as well for back in '85, <laughs> and then from New Jersey out to San Diego, and then up to Temecula, and then on to Eugene. Uh, now we were. Um, we had our uh, youngest was finishing up high school when we were in Temecula. We'd been there a few years. The kids went through high school there. And we were thinking, you know, we, we really need to challenge our faith a little bit. We felt a little too comfortable uh, with how we were living in Temecula, even though we were in the ministry and share working as a doctor. Um, and we were looking at the idea of going uh, to, uh, to Cambodia, move out there, and uh, maybe uh, work with one of the uh, hospital compounds and also start a, a church along where, where that hospital would be. And that just uh, just couldn't work out. There were just too many obstacles, uh, a lot of a lot of ends. And um, Eugene had University of Oregon, and Steve Johnson up in Portland uh, knew we love uh, campus ministry, and so he kept uh, bringing up Eugene for a while. And finally, Cheryl contacted uh, the company she's with, and they wanted to start a new medical clinic in Eugene. They just rolled the red carpet out for her to come up and be one of the doctors with that clinic to start it. And um, we came up and visited, and uh, it just seemed like there were so many open doors, uh, and we were we were ready to step out and have a, a new chapter of faith in our life, and this seemed to be the place to go. There's so many doors open. Mm-hmm. Okay, so go ahead, Cheryl. Well, uh, it's funny. Kelly, uh, Kelly really, really, really wanted to go abroad. <laughs> right. And But we, had, we have children, and so uh, part of 
our lives was realizing they're going to need some financial help through college and uh, through two of them want to do professional school. In fact, our son right now is in medical school. And so, uh, and our income was such that there was not going to be help given to us. Um, so just on a practical level, we were really debating this. So when Kelly was going out the door for one of his Columbia visits, Cambodia. or uh, Cambodia, I'm sorry, Cambodia visits, um, I said, hey, because he had never disclosed to me that Steve <laughs> Johnson had been inviting him for the last two, three years. Hey, when are you going to come to Eugene? So what happened was, I, as he's going out the door, I said, well, what if I call and see if there's an opportunity up there? Mm. Which I did. The clinic. To, for, for, is there somewhere I can work in Eugene? And so when I called, I told the woman, I said, hey, this is a year off, year and a half off, but would there be any opportunity there in the, uh, to have a clinic in Eugene? And she said to me, oh, you're not early. Your timing is perfect, wow. just like that. And so I, I said in my heart, okay, when Kelly comes home, if uh, when he comes home, I'll tell him. And then if Steve calls him after about an hour and the first words out of Steve's mouth is, when you're coming to Eugene, I know we're going. Hmm. Well, hmm. lo and behold, that is exactly what happened. Steve called him and he said to him, hey, when are you coming to Eugene? So. I knew, I knew that's where we were going to go. That's and amazing. if I, if you don't mind, I'll, I have one more quick story that for people out there thinking about opportunities, you're, you're hearing different things from other people. Let it inspire you because I was inspired uh, a year before all this happened that the story I just told you in that I went to the long beach conference and I think it was called go, but I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, there was a couple brought up on stage, first time I'd ever seen this, uh, who were going to be the Flagstaff, Arizona mom and pop. And he it was a retiring lawyer and his, his wife. And I was sitting in my seat so envious of their, their opportunity. And I even said to my friend sitting next to me, wow, wouldn't that be so awesome to get to do something like that? And uh, so anyway, uh, God plants these little ideas and dreams in your heart. And who knew that that was literally going to happen? And that's so cool. Uh, I, I, that's Ken and, Deb, Ken and Debbie Burford from Flagstaff. And we're hoping to plant a church there, which is pretty exciting. So nice. it's great how one person inspires another. Yes. Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's interesting. Right. It's like, okay, the traditional couple is like typically – at least in our family of churches, both people are employed by the church. Both people are working. That there must have been a cost that you counted, Kelly, if you wanted to go into the ministry to marry someone who's working as a doctor, because that didn't necessarily fit the mold. How did you sure. kind of deal with that and go, okay, I can still be used. Um, you know, God can still use me in spite of the fact that we don't, we're not typical in the sense of both being fully employed by the church. You know, uh, from uh, my traditional training in the ministry was um, you're full time in the ministry as the husband and your wife full time in the ministry as well. And you're, you, know, you both uh, throw everything at it and you, you go somewhere overseas and have at it. And uh, you know, I, I thought that was the model to, to go by. And uh, it turns out over, over 
time, I realized that that's not the only model that there is and not the only successful model. Matter of fact, there can be some that are even more successful in that old way I had of thinking. And uh, one of the things I realized is that you know, you're thinking about careers outside of, of ministry. Wow, medicine is one that can so support uh, what's done in the ministry uh, for the church. And just that from a practical matter, what it has done for us to go to places that could not afford to hire somebody, mm-hmm. but because of Cheryl's salary, this is very practical now, because of her salary, we were able to go to Temecula and then on to Eugene that financially, I don't know how it would have worked if she did not have that income as a doctor. Right. Yeah, let me add to that. Because when you're starting with a small group of people, obviously the resources aren't all there. So uh, I think uh, it's really a, um, made it possible for God to go into places that uh, would have taken a lot longer time mm-hmm. to have been able to have anybody full-time there. And Kelly obviously works at a much reduced salary. Do you mind if I share your salary? Sure. Here he gets paid $1,000 a month plus some payment into a retirement account. Oh, my gosh. And wow. um, so obviously that kind of level of sacrifice uh, is, is a joy because it lets the gospel go places where other people wouldn't wouldn't get to go with it. Uh, I think also I, I want to share that um, earlier in our marriage, there was a period of time when I was full time in the ministry, but I still worked a day or two as a doctor. Uh, and that was during when the kids were really young. And so on a really practical note for people with a one career uh, family outside of the church and then someone inside the church trying to work together, um, I think that uh, it, there there are sacrifices you have to make financially. That uh, it's hard for the, for the person in the world to really be full full time. I'm going to say that honestly. When there's kids in the picture, right. to have mm-hmm. enough uh, family time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, okay. I would say this has inspired us to think about a little different model, even just for the ministry. We call it professional tent maker ministry that someone mm-hmm. keeps their career, but is trained in the ministry to do everything mm-hmm. somebody the full time ministry can do. And they can either go on these mission teams and help support them financially or stay back in the home church and continue their career and support that that planting through their finances that they have by keeping their uh, their, their career. And I think it proves very valuable uh, to be able to have someone stay in their career that they've put years into and they're, they're having this amazing resources they can use not only for the home church but for these plantings but they've been trained to do whatever uh, someone in the ministry can do and, and to speak and teach and baptize and have a church uh, schedule and calendar it's proved invaluable to have disciples uh, that can do that um i just i wanted to add that when we went to temecula it's so it's been 18 years now that i have been or almost 18 years that i've been full full time in medicine and Feeding. And so um, in at the greatest size of the church in Temecula, it was 150 people, I believe, when we were leading. And I was working full time, driving 45 minutes one way to go to my job, three kids, but they're in middle school and teens. Um, so can, can, uh, I, can, I, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. So 
your kids, you've got three kids. How old are they? I, I should have asked this earlier. Now, uh, 27, 28. 28. Sorry, she just turned 28. 25. 20, yeah, 25. And 23. 23. Okay, so they're all out of the house and moved on? Now. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And it's two boys and a girl or? Two, two girls and a boy. Two girls and a boy. Okay, sorry. Back to, so you're That's driving, right. driving yeah. back and forth to your work, got your kids. Yeah, so uh, what I want to share is that this model, so uh, there are downsides too, which we can talk about, but a major plus is that I think in our, our I'll say the way we were traditionally doing things, the ministry couple was looked upon as they would do everything, fix right. everything, take right. care of everything. Uh, you were lucky uh, to have some supporting cast. Uh, I think we've always wanted training, but I think we kind of were falling into a clergy laity approach. And so uh, when you're the one that's saying, hey, guys, it's all hands in, and I mean it, I'm I'm. 12 hours there working on this. I was not being paid by the church any of the times when I was full-time in medicine. Uh, I think people really woke up and said, she's not kidding. Like, she wants us to learn this. (laughs) Or I want to exert myself, right. And I think it had a real positive benefit uh, in the churches. Wow, okay. Now, so you came to... Eugene in 2015, how big was your team and how big is the church now? Well, uh, when we came here, it was just me and Cheryl (laughs) and, uh, God blessed us with a lot of one year challenge, um, disciples that joined us. So it was about 12 one year challenge people came along with us. And, um, and what happened is we uh, were able to secure two houses near campus, one for the guys and one for the girls. And so, um, we had, five or six guys living in the, the, the guy's place and about the same with the, uh, with the sisters. And so we started out with, uh, oh, somewhere between uh, 14, 15, maybe. Uh, then uh, another family joined us that uh, was living up uh, almost an hour away. And so I guess uh, initially those first few weeks, it kind of came together about 18 people. And, uh, and we had services in that first uh, house uh, that the guys lived in on Agate Street, right by campus. And a beautiful time. Um, amazing opportunities to all live together in one house and uh, build these relationships and to be able to reach out on campus on a daily basis. And the church grew with people being baptized, uh, people being restored, and, uh, and the people moving in uh, from, other, um, from other congregations that were here in, in, in Eugene. And that was an interesting uh, segment that played out for the church. But right now, um, the church is, I guess, about 50 disciples, and we've sent out a number uh, to different places and uh, moves out for careers and, and college, but also uh, for the different church plantings. So uh, we've, you know, could have had a, a different take on Eugene if we just kind of kept everything in town, but uh, we've been wanting to be kind of the, uh, the aircraft carrier that sends them on out if, if possible without it being something that um, takes too much away from the Eugene church. Okay, so uh-huh. let's let's talk a little bit about that because oftentimes churches wait till they're like, 100, 500,000 before they even consider planting other churches. But you've shared that you've already got churches going to different cities. Can you share what other 
plantings you've got going and and how that how that developed and like what your thinking was did that happen organically or did was that intentional Can you talk a little bit about that yes well we uh, kind of put it out there that we didn't want to go by only one model of how to plant a church we just kind of want to use them all <laughs> and uh, through this efforts uh, a lot of people have contacted us in, in nearby towns around Eugene saying uh, I used to be a disciple in such and such a church and I live here now and and so uh, instead of asking them to move to Eugene, we just said, well, why don't you come in on Sundays to Eugene? Uh, let's, let's make sure your walk with God is where it needs to be. And let's, uh, once that's settled, let's try to build a fellowship around, around you and, and, and your, your household. And one of those was up in Corvallis, and, uh, which is about 45 minutes away and, of course, home of Oregon State University, which is now the largest university in, in Oregon with about 30,000 students, at least before the pandemic anyway. Right, that's <laughs> uh, right. And so there was a couple living there, a family, um, they had an older, they had a son and then a, a daughter, a special needs daughter. And they were driving from Corvallis to Eugene for many years uh, for church. And you started having conversations with them and asked them if they would be interested in, in seeing a church planted in Corvallis and have a campus ministry. And they said, yes. And they have a very nice home there and uh, talks continued and prayers. And, and uh, we helped them get some apartments set up uh, through the finances of Eugene Church to have some one-year challenge people come out and live in those apartments like we did here in Eugene. And that kicked off the, uh, the church there. And they, they're, they're both working. Um, and that's the, uh, the, the Jensen's, Garth and Carrie Jensen. And they were um, uh, both employed and they supported themselves. And so they're leading the group still to this day. And uh, they're about to hire their first uh, intern, a campus and singles intern. And so it's encouraging to see that. And through the baptisms there, and the growth of the Corvallis Church, the Salem Church just sort of um, mushroomed, organically grew. Uh, uh, a brother who uh, I, I believe you know, uh, who uh, Aaron is Ford. from Salem, works as a teacher there. Yeah, Aaron Ford. I, I think he actually had you know his struggles spiritually in the past, but it, he got out and uh, got to uh, Salem, and and we've had a lot of conversations, and and things yeah. in his life have really awakened. And uh, Roan, he just got married, and uh, he and his wife uh, lead the group in Salem, and they both work, and uh, they use their home and, and other places. They've had storefronts donated to them to use for services, and the two, two uh, there uh, in, in Salem have, have baptized seven or eight or nine by, by, by uh, now. And wow. so the church has, has really grown there in, in Salem, and uh, they, have, uh, they just had a, a baptism recently. That's awesome. Sister was baptized, who has a daughter mm -hmm. in the Connecticut church with the Sackingers. And so they were having a study with the mom through uh, via Zoom the last number of months from uh, Christine, Salem, and Connecticut, just all studying together. Mm -hmm. And she was baptized, uh, I guess, a month, month and a half ago. And then the church in Bend was a little different because it was going to be almost three hours away up and over the Cascade Mountains. So uh, Salem and, and Corvallis can always drive into Eugene for church services. And, and so there were, you know, naturally the connections were, were easier, but a church about three hours away, we thought we need a, it needs to be a little more of a standalone type congregation, more of a church planting. Right. We, we, so we had a young couple here in Eugene that wanted to go, uh, Joey and, and Madison Hungerford and uh, their, their families in the church. They grew up in the church. Uh, she did. And uh, he's uh, was a campus ministry, a uh, uh, conversion to Christ. And, and uh, they trained here and uh, we, through one-year challenge opportunities again built uh, uh, some houses over there and help uh, finance those so they could bring in the one-year challenge applicants to come live there and they had some other families that joined and one of the things we learned about these church plantings is once you get a leader 
whether it's young or old. <laughs> and uh, once they're there and established and you start using one-year challenge uh, opportunities or other ways, it's amazing the word gets around and people just show up. Come out of the woodwork is an old saying, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, in amazing ways, people start taking jobs that they would not have taken because now they hear there's going to be a church planted. There. That's right. That's right. Or they, they take a scholarship at that university because, uh, yeah, there's a church there now. So I'm, I'm going to, there wasn't before, and now there is. I, I'm going to go ahead and accept that scholarship and go there. So it's amazing how that's happened once the uh, the word gets out. You know, the old saying from <clears throat> that, that movie years ago, if you build it, they will come type idea. Well, well God, if you plant his flag, People rally around it. I, I'm I'm really moved. I, I'm inspired. Um, I shared this with you briefly beforehand, but um, when Pam and I lived in in Ashland before we moved to Tucson, uh, we took a trip with our with our kids up through um, through Oregon, and we stopped in every city going up the I five. Rose, you know, Grant, starting in Grants Pass, we prayed on the river there of the Rogue, Rogue River. And then we went to Roseburg, prayed there at the welcome sign to Roseburg. And then we, we cool. stopped and prayed at Hayward Field in Eugene um, at, at University of Oregon. Then we prayed at Oregon, Oregon State in Corvallis. We stopped there. And then we went to Salem and prayed in front of the state capitol. And wow. of course, uh, there's already a church there in Portland. But we prayed that someday there'd be churches in all those places. And so it's, it's inspiring to me, makes me, makes me grateful to God because I was wondering, you know, what's, what's going to happen with that prayer? Is this going to make a difference? And it's making a difference. And I, I really appreciate, so grateful to you guys for your love for uh, my home state. It's just, it's awesome. It's so encouraging. And just to see uh, a church in Bend, which is such a beautiful and up and coming city. It's an amazing place. My family yes. is originally from Eastern, Eastern Oregon, a small town called... Really? Jordan Valley, Oregon, which is in the southeast corner of wow. uh, my family moved there in the 1860s from England. So wow. anyway, Goodness. I love that place. And it's just inspiring to see what you're doing. And uh, I, I shared this earlier, but the final service before we had our anniversary service before we moved, I think it was a seven year anniversary service, was the Win Oregon Weekend. We called it the Wow Weekend, Win Oregon Weekend. And it's always been my dream to win my home state. And so I really appreciate, you know, just it really encourages me in my relationship with God to see what you guys are doing. Thank you. This little side note there. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, well, God has honored your prayers. Your, your yeah. wife's prayers and, uh, well, thank you for, for those prayers. And Rob, I, I know that you actually began this work in Medford and Ashford area. And of course, the Uyghurs are there now. And they're very supportive of, of, saying, hey, guys, go for it, uh, and and so have the Johnsons been very supportive. So the state is is unified in that sense. Um, uh, I think that there's just, uh, it's ripe for work. That's great. Lots of opportunity. Rob, a side note, but I've got to ask, uh, do you have any uh, relation, uh, past relations to uh, the Skinner family that started uh, the city of Eugene? Eugene that I don't know because I know there's a Skinner's Skinner Butte right, you know, in the center yes. of town. I always, you know, try to claim that, but I I don't know. <laughs> Maybe going way back, I've never made it. We actually lived. My family lived in Eugene for two years in the early seventies oh. when I was a kid. My mom taught school there, and so we actually lived in a small town um, south of there called Lowell, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. that's where we lived, and so anyway. Yeah, there's 
there's a family of disciples that, that live there now. Yeah. The church. Yeah. There's a reservoir there and everything. Anyway, I don't want to keep going. So where do you go from here? What's your vision for Oregon? What like you, I mean, you've already expanded yeah. so rapidly. I mean, how, how do you sustain those churches and then continue to grow? What, what are you thinking? Well, um, one of the things I, I look at in, in the state of Oregon and having been around for a few years, like you have Rob, uh, You've seen the model of going to big church, uh, big cities, which has been awesome. It, it, it's it was phenomenal to send 25, 30 people, uh, big, big, big budget dollar wise, and uh, well seasoned evangelist and women's ministry leader, and right. things go great. Right. Um, but you know, for a church our side, just getting planted, we'd have to wait ten years maybe to do something like that. Right. So, and then you look at all the small towns and villages, not only in Oregon but across our country and across the planet. Um, I guess in our country, 40% of people still live in smaller, smaller cities and smaller towns. Right. And how do we reach that? Jesus said in Matthew 9, he went to all the, the towns and villages. I thought that would be that would be a great goal for us to have here in Eugene for the uh, for the state of Oregon. Yeah. Let's let's see if we can plant these uh, churches in as many towns and villages as we can. Um, the dream of having a, a mega church in Eugene of 2,500 people would be fantastic. But I'm starting to think more so, wouldn't it be amazing to have 50 churches of 50 people all through the state? That's yeah. 2,500. Right. Wouldn't it be amazing to have that? Yeah. And yes, it would require a lot of sacrifice, especially on the uh, the part of the Eugene Christians, the Eugene church, and it already has. But it's so encouraging to see what's happened in Corvallis, and Salem, and Bend, and some of the other plans for Roseburg and La Grande and, and uh, Florence. Um yeah, I think this idea that we want to send this mom and pop model uh, throughout the state. And I'm just sort of hoping that it'll be something that we as a fellowship embrace, not only the, the big city church plantings, but also other models of starting uh, churches in smaller towns and um, villages throughout, throughout all our states. You know, you, you think about these small towns, you, you can't just show up one weekend with 10,000 invitations, pass a bunch of invitations out. What do you do after that? To me, you you have a couple that moves there, has a job, and you help build a fellowship around them. And then the Wednesday nights, a church schedule will be Wednesday nights. You have midweek, but before midweek, it's spaghetti night every mm -hmm. Wednesday. Mm -hmm. You cook the spaghetti. Everybody, whoever wants dinner shows up, and you have dinner before midweek. And anybody that's not yet a Christian, they, they're part of that too. We, we did that here in Eugene. And then Sunday, it's, a, it's it's grill day. You know, after church, you pull out the grill and got football playing on the TV in the background. You pull the grill out. You just cook salmon and other things uh, on the grill. And people stick around as long as they want, eating, hanging out, talking, watching football, or whatever they're doing. Uh, even some people go in another room and have a Bible study and a talk. And uh, so that's kind of a, a model for this you know, family ministry. And it's so encouraging to, uh, to see that this happens. And it, it doesn't require large sums of money to do this. Uh, matter of fact, Salem uh, was so organic, basically, it, it cost no really cost. nothing for no Eugene. Um, Corvallis was limited. Ben was more because it was more of a church planting and, and paying the salary of a young couple, uh, the Hungerfords. But uh, we're, so we're doing different models to, to meet different needs. And our vision is to see these planted uh, all through the towns and villages of, of, uh, of Oregon. Kelly has an expression. Um, you throw the spaghetti up on the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> I like that. That is our ministry philosophy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's good. So the Holy, not too far off. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit deems it so. Uh, for instance, we've been longing to see something get going in Legrand. We've even had conversations with Portland and 
um, with right. uh, Boise about it. Eastern Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. To get something started there, but so far, and we've even visited Tri Cities, which is not that far away as well. So we've been kind of trying to grease that that uh, gear, but it just has not caught yet. So, but meanwhile, some people have been more interested in Roseburg all of a sudden. So you just don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do, which is part of the exciting part of all of this, that uh, every every year there's sort of a new twist in the road. So it's fun. That's so cool. That's, I, guys, I just, I'm totally on board with the way you're thinking. I, I think if we're going to grow our family of churches from the 100,000 or so people to a million, we're going to have to embrace some some different some different yes. methods. I, I just, I, I totally agree. And I think there's some, some things that we're going to have to look at. Like for example, um, the model of just one, one church, one city, one church, or one metropolitan area, one church, right. instead of just, Hey, let's, let's multiply churches all over the place because it, it just takes so much, so many resources to run a big church. And it takes an extremely talented minister. I mean, it takes a, yeah. Some of these mega church leaders or even large church leaders in our family of churches, like these people are super gifted. Not everyone can do that. It's very rare right. that a person can have that, you know, mm. kind of uh, gift set. And but there's a lot of people that can lead a small church. It's yes. a lot of people that could tackle a church of fifty or even a hundred. You can Absolutely. do it. Well, Rob, I have to interject at this point because many people have asked me about this mom and pop model, saying we we'd, we'd like to do something like that going and lead a, uh, a church somewhere and plant one, but we've never been in the ministry. We've never been in the full-time ministry. Or I was a summer intern in college many years ago, and that's my only experience in the ministry. And I said, well, have you led a Bible talk? And they said, yes, we had one at home, and we baptized some neighbors. And uh, did you? I said, did you love God and open the word with the lost? And they said, oh, of course. I said, then you're you're qualified. You're ready. <laughs> <Skill set. laughs> that yes. <will> work. <laughs> so that has been kind of the conversations I got to have with a number of people. And they go, oh, that's what you're looking for? Well, yeah, we have that experience. Great, and I, I think you're ready <laughs> if you want to do this. Yeah. Well, it's it's like Acts chapter eight that you know when the people were scattered, that's where yes. most of those churches were planted. Is is unknown people, not Paul, not Peter, but just disciples going back to their home countries that they they right. came from before Pentecost, and and we're going back to it. So I've talked to different people in the Philippines. They're they're kind of following the same model that you have in the sense of they'll have families that are starting in the province and then they'll have it grow a little bit. And then basically as it grows, then they'll send out a leader later to develop it. And it's wow. working. I was talking to a church leader from the Philippines and he said they, they, they had started four churches during the, the coronavirus wow. in, by that method. So it's, you know, I, I think there's some synchronicity going on here around the world where God is saying, Hey, listen, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. We can, we got to get the gospel out there. And I, I appreciate your flexibility of thinking. Um, let's talk a little bit about your planting of Eugene. Okay. That's, that's good growth going from 17 or so to, to 50, then planting four other churches. I don't know anyone recently who's done that kind of expansion. What did you do? Like, what was your strategy to reach out in a small town? Eugene's probably, what, 100,000 people maybe? Yes. Well, one of it was, of course, uh, a, a campus outreach. And having a, a lot of one-year challenge uh, disciples come with us, we, we got the word out there, got on the one-year challenge site, and uh, 
So leading up to coming here in 2015, we just spoke with a lot of uh, young brothers and sisters throughout the country about coming out to be a part of the planting and put together the apartments. And so what it provided was instant fellowship. So uh, me and Cheryl and, and a bunch of one of your challenge disciples, those is, is really kind of fun, um, you know, challenged our youthfulness and, and a bigger <laughs> energy and having them here, they go camping, hiking, uh, always out on campus, volleyball, yeah, everything. So that was a, a great way to really see a great campus ministry get started. And then something that uh, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the years we've been here and, and want to expand even more is um, not only here, but I think ac across our land, if we had a way of reaching out more via uh, meeting physical needs of people, we've talked about this before, and I hope has talked about it, obviously. Um, but the idea here in Eugene, there's so many people that, that uh, live in a, uh, a poor category of life, socioeconomically, and they live on the streets as, as homeless. And it's a, it's a big concern here. And uh, there's an activist type uh, mentality here in, the, in the, the city. And I want to plug into that and use that for God. Mm. And one of the things that helped in an incredible way that uh, I just sort of stumbled upon was uh, the idea of the go-to truck. Go-to is an acronym for give one, take one. And I, I was having lunch or breakfast with a brother down in Southern California before he moved. And we were talking about benevolence work and, and reaching out to the poor and how the church should be, we should be doing this more. And so the idea came up, why don't you do this with your go-to truck up in Eugene? And so um, we got, I had some stickers, some, some uh, magnets made of it and some, some little cards and got up here and just started collecting from the church and other places stuff in the, in the truck, clothes, food, sleeping bags. Shoes, socks, boots, I, tents, uh, all kinds of things. People put in old LP albums. I, I don't know why, but people have, and all kinds of things. Uh, and so um, I don't even know what's in there sometimes. So I get to drive around town giving these things out to people in a 1937 Chevy pickup truck. <laughs> and, I, and the horns is old Aruga type horns. So I honk that, and guys come out of the tents and start picking through stuff in the truck. And I get to talk to them about life while they're doing that. And the things I've learned about homelessness, I just never knew. But something even more so is I had some cards made up, uh, business cards, and then you see the truck on there. And I give these out. These are the most incredible evangelistic tool I have ever had. Wow. I can just walk up to somebody and say, excuse me, let me give you a go-to truck card. It's a 1937 Chevy pickup truck I have. And people from church where I'm a minister put stuff in and I could drive around town and give it out to the homeless and poor. That's kind of the initial line. Right. And it opens up all these doors to talk about classic cars, trucks, restoring vehicles. Uh, homeless, the poor, other issues, social issues of, of, of the of the city. I talked about God, being a minister of the church. All those doors are now open and play to, to further a conversation. And even if somebody has no belief in God, they're like, oh, tell me about the homeless thing, how, how, uh, giving stuff out. People have joined me and, and become a, they, they ride alongs. They ride shotgun with me and they jump in and we drive around. We, we look for people in tents and corners of the cardboard signs pull over and start passing stuff out people would buy pizzas and tangerines or waters and say hey let me ride with you and we give those out too with, with the clothes and it's been crazy that way and uh, uh i really enjoy it and love it and uh, a brother was visiting from sacramento uh, just this week and he said oh uh, uh, i've been, I been wanting to see the go-to truck you think we could go out i said sure why not so we we threw some stuff in the truck and found some folks out on the streets and gave stuff out and uh yeah it's, it's always an experience because Crazy things are said and done, but what it does is it allows me to start conversations and get around to God. If I were trying to hand them a, a just a simple card to come to church, 
so many people would just say, no, thank you, not even take the card. But 90 plus percent of people take the card, talk to me about it, want to know more about it, say they'd like to give something to it. Mm-hmm. And I have my phone number on there so people can drop by, put it in or call me and I can go pick it up. There was a woman who uh, for quite a while named Christina who lived by the stop sign at, at Washington and Fifth and uh, reached out to her and, uh, and took some sisters by and she finally found a place, another part of town to live in, uh, somebody's living room. And she called me and said, I had your car and I wanted to give some stuff back to get to the homeless. And I went and the clothes were very poor shape, not clean. And there's an aroma about them that was, I, I think I had to end up getting rid of a lot of them. And, and the way she was living and carrying herself still, I, uh, I, I wish there's some way I could really make an impact and help. And then she called again months later and said, I, I have some more clothes. I, I, I really, very hesitant about going. Uh, because of the last experience of uh, as I went and she had stuff in the bags, clean, folded. She was different. It was putting some colors in her hair and she had some, uh, a gentleman living with her, I guess now. And, and he was talking about their need to go to church. And, and I thought, what a transformation from a wow. woman who lived in a tent by a stop sign. Wow. And now is, is giving me clean clothes and is talking about coming to church and her boyfriend as well. And uh, but this is really cool. That's amazing. Uh, but as well, just the conversations I get to have with people around town, students, singles, married professionals uh, about uh, the go-to truck. And so many people, after I give them this card, say, thank you for giving this to me. I want to contribute something. And I feel like it's been something that I, I've never had this opportunity to share my faith this way. And, and I absolutely love it. That's it's been awesome. so a, a way to connect with so many people. So this is something that you just started when you got to Eugene. Yes. Well, I had the truck down in, uh, in Temecula. I was working on it for another purpose. And then uh, we moved up here and, and with all the, the, the need for it, we started turning it into a, a, a truck that I could fill up the, uh, the bed with all kinds of clothes and food. But I wanted to give another idea as well along this lines is you don't have to have a 37 Chevy pickup truck to do this. You can do it out of the trunk of your car where you uh, put stuff in there and have people donate or and uh, pull over when you see folks and say, hey, what do you need? And they can pick stuff out of your, your, uh, your truck, your trunk and uh, be able to give out things and start conversations. But as well, you could solicit things from your neighbors about, hey, I'm, I'm doing this out of my car. Uh, um, would, would you be able to donate some clothes for it? And I think you'd find people would respond in a, in a very uh, warm way to what you're trying to do. So Rob, the, so obviously we use cold contact approach uh, as part of all of the starting of the church, and we still do. Uh, I, I think our philosophy is uh, make the most of every opportunity. So then in terms of uh, here, I'm starting a new job. So there was a lot of opportunity there. Uh, and uh, so people did come to church through that, uh, just your neighborhoods. It just, there's always people around. I think it's being super, just willing to engage and uh, kind of invite people into your life uh, a bit. And uh, that's what we were doing. Uh, and people would be like, wait, you're living in that house with who? <laughs> <laughs> and it would just lead to great conversations so that people could hear uh, just thoughts that they had not thought about uh, entertaining. Um, this is a really progressive area. Um, I, I know that the idea of trying to help people too has been um, a, a thought of mine with volunteering at Volunteers in Medicine. And that leads me to a whole nother group of people. So anyway, for all of us just to use who we are. And 
Uh, and then one other thing is the internet and uh, group, uh, not group me, what is it called? Um, it's uh, when you put something, meetup, meet uh, has been very instrumental too. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, Rob. Uh, well, one, one second here, Kelly. I want to just go, go to you, Cheryl. Like, I think people listening are like, okay, Kelly, he's a gearhead. He likes his truck. He, he can, he's got the time to drive around all day, and that's awesome. It, it's inspiring. I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the truck because I'm interested in, um, in that whole aspect. That, but Cheryl, you're working this long shift, 7.30 to 5.30 or 6.30, almost a 12-hour shift five days a week. That's a long shift. How, how do you manage? I mean, how do you reach out and what, what did any advice for people that, you know, like, Oh yeah, I'd like to, to do that with the truck, but man, I'm, I've got a long job and I don't run, I've already shared with everybody at my office and stuff like that. What, what have you right. found works for you? Well, I, I, I have to say that that's why I take every opportunity that I can not not every single time that I'm meeting up with somebody in the grocery store. Let's say, do I necessarily invite them? But often I do. I, I look for something to say to them as a person, and then God kind of opens the door. Uh, but I'd say that it's funny when we have that outward heart. It seems that God will then bring people to church uh, in different ways. So. I have not personally had more than probably 10 visitors to church through the course of these five years, which is so sad. But anybody that comes, they feel, I think, taken care of. They feel that there's an interest in them. Right. And that's the spirit of the church. Of course, during the pandemic now, that's thrown a new wrench in things uh, to keep things moving. But uh, but people, um, people are still coming out of the woodwork in different ways. Uh, so I guess I can't say that there's this direct, I did this, so this is what happened and produced all this wonderfulness. I think what happens is we just keep doing the best we can with every opportunity. I, you build relationship over time. And just because somebody isn't necessarily interested at this moment, doesn't mean that there isn't some sort of impact being made that God can will use later. Right. So I would just say persevere in your, your love for people uh, is the biggest way to say it. That's great advice. Kelly. I was going to say, um, one of the things we teach here is <clears throat> wrestle and find your way, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. when it comes to being able to make another disciple of Jesus, your evangelistic efforts. I know, Rob, you have servant evangelism, which is, I uh, hear the story and I think that's awesome. I love it. And, uh, People say, well, Kelly, you got the go-to truck. And I tell people, well, find your way. Mm -hmm. Go-to truck may not be something that isn't you know, part of your life, but there are other ways. There's so many ways we can reach out. There's so many ways we can make connections with people. Um, you know, be inspired by what other people are doing, but let that inspire you to find your way right. with your career and your life and mm -hmm. your interests right. uh, to make a, make a disciple of Jesus. Well, I totally agree with you, Kelly. And I, I think that's where... Every person has to figure out how they're built by God and the best way for them that, that kind of coincides with the mission that God gives all of us, our, our temperament, and then our interests and likes. I mean, you must obviously like cars and old cars. I, I'm assuming you're a gearhead. You like to work on cars. I do, yeah. Uh, one of the, my favorite shows during this epidemic has been uh, Car Masters. 
uh, Rust to Riches, and the, yeah. there's it's about a car shop in Temecula, California, where you guys came from. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> Have you ever been to that shop? I've been over by it. Okay. We, we had left before it got started, but uh, yeah. and it just totally made me think about that because those guys, you know, they take old cars and they they rework yeah. them. But um, I, I guess that you have an interest in cars, so it's something that has this been something for your lifetime, or yeah, it started way back in high school in the kind of boy racer days, um, uh-huh. and it is it, kind of uh, evolved a little bit as I've gotten older. And um, I used to be almost exclusively into late '60s muscle cars. Uh, matter of fact, my son and I did a father-son project when he was in high school, and we did a '68 Camaro oh my together, gosh. and uh, white with the, the orange stripes on it, and uh, and so I, I, I restored it. He, I tried to get him into that. He wasn't quite into the work as much as he liked driving it. He, he enjoyed driving. <laughs> every, like every time he took it out, somebody would ask him something about it. You know, what year is it? Uh, you want to sell it? I used to have one like that, and all this. Uh, he loved the attention, but he. he let me work on it primarily. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's that's cool. Cheryl, do you have any ta- any hobbies aside from your your medical practices or anything? What what do you do when you you want to just let down and, and relax? Oh, I've had projects that I've done in knitting or uh, uh, sure, crocheting. Sure and, oh yeah. So one of the women that um, got baptized last year. Uh, she had come um, because we were the closest church uh, geographically to where she and her husband lived. And she thought um, if we go there and he hates it, great. We won't have to go search for churches anymore because he was the one interested in going. Anyway, so uh, she and I, I, I asked her, hey, let's have coffee. And and maybe uh, so then when we were talking, I it it just came about that she wanted to learn how to knit. So I said, Oh my gosh, I know how to knit. Let's knit. So we started knitting together. And after knitting together for a month or two, she said, when are we going to study the Bible? (laughs) 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 That's how we got to start studying the Bible. But yeah, so that's one of the ways that uh, hobbies. That's great. Yeah. This was a woman of both. She and her husband were lawyers here in town. And uh, she actually took a, a, the job as assistant district attorney out in American Samoa, and uh, yeah, recently. So you're not here now. Yeah. Okay, so if a person's listening and they have a dream to plant a church, they're like, "Wow, you know what? This is this is God really speaking to me here through this podcast or the, through this couple in particular." But maybe not supported financially. What advice would you give them? What would you tell them? Well, I would ask them: you you want to provide the leadership of the team? or do you want to be on the team and help support? Uh, but regardless of what that is, don't let your faith be controlled by external circumstances. Okay. There's always a way to work this out if you have a dream to serve this way. What if they're afraid financially? They're worried they've got kids, maybe they've got young kids, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'd like to, but money, kids, time. Oh, yeah, my, um, my advice would be to somebody, don't let that stop you either. But it may it may delay you. You may not be able to do it this year. But if money is a concern, figure out the money. Make some investments. Save the money. Make a plan that's maybe five years out. And uh, I, I talk to disciples uh, frequently about, hey, when you retire, why don't you come up to, to Oregon and uh, start one of these, these mom and pops on one of these church plantings and, and lead it that way. So that once you're finished and you have your uh, 
you know, pension and 401k kicking in and social security, come on up and uh, you'll be able to get a house and have the house church in your home and be you know, self-supporting and, and do this. So it may take a, a little while to, to work out the finances, but don't let that stop you. There, there's still a way to do this. Totally. Absolutely. That's great advice. Okay. Now you've talked a little bit about OMI, which is Oregon. You mentioned this in your, your bio, Oregon, Montana, Idaho. How do you guys help each other? So you're part of the Northwest family of churches, but you have a little subset there. How do you guys encourage each other? We have a, uh, a, a weekly uh, phone call together on Tuesdays where the church leaders uh, all talk together. And, uh, and then also Dan Lauterbach from Eugene, who's uh, going to probably be leading the Eugene church here down the road shortly. He's on it as well. And uh, the Hungerfords from, um, uh, from Bend and, and the Grimms from uh, uh, Missoula and the Williamses from Boise. And we had this great conversation. The brothers and the sisters have their conversations as well, mm-hmm. similarly. And so we build these friendships where we're talking about real life issues, any things that we need to encourage each other, feeling uh, challenged about emotionally, uh, confession of sins, uh, helping one another out. How this all got started was uh, when, when Ben was going over uh, to be planted, the Hungerfords and the uh, Williamses from Boise struck up a, a, a friendship and they invited uh, the Hungerfords to come over and speak over in Boise. And they really in, in enjoyed them and liked them. And Frank and I started talking, um, uh, and me and him, Boise and, and Eugene. And they were so enthralled and wanting to plant churches as well in a similar fashion. They decided they, as a church, wanted to support financially a big way the planting in Bend. Mm. So they took it to the church and they voted, got a yes vote, and uh, they gave a financial, um, a substantial financial contribution to the, the Bend plant. And this really kind of kick-started these relationships. We thought, well, why don't we help each other do more church planting? Okay, Work on this together as far as finding people that can go, figuring out the finances together, uh, not only in Oregon, but uh, Boise, I mean, uh, Idaho and Montana as well. Mm-hmm. So it's been amazing the, the partnership that we've got, not only a friendship in the ministry and as a walk with the Lord, but just a partnership in seeing churches planted throughout that tri-state area. So when you guys planted Bend, did you all the different churches around the region get together and pool the money? And you guys found a couple. Are, are they? Is the couple supported um, financially from outside from, from the various churches? How's that working? Yeah. Well, with Bend, uh, they're just getting started. They were planted last uh, last fall, and their one of their top goals is to become self-supporting, and they, they probably will do that in the next year. Now, in Eugene, we still pay for uh, half the salary of, uh, of Joey Hungerford from here. But uh, to get things started, get over there, get the one-year challenge houses started, that was additional funds as well. And Boise stepped in and, and gave a, a huge contribution to help get that going. Mm-hmm. And when we had the inaugural service on September 22nd of last year, um, they had it over on the local campus and a, a beautiful uh, glass wall that looked out over the valley. And, and we had uh, disciples from all over Oregon, uh, uh, Zula, Boise that came to it. And so it was an incredible kickoff Sunday of feeling of a sense of partnership and unity together to get this started. And um, it was fun just to, to see that. Uh, the other church plantings from Corvallis and Salem were there as well. And uh, of course, uh, uh, Portland. And it was just a time uh, since that we, we can we can be unified and we can see this happen more throughout this uh, this tri-state uh, partnership. Wow. That's so, I, I want to come and visit. I want to see one of those gatherings. Next time you guys have a gathering, please email me. I, I would 
love to just join you guys and just see what's happening. Now, how much, okay, how much did you guys raise? How much did it cost to get that planting going in Ben? Like what, what kind of money are we talking? Now this was a more of a church planting. So we wanted to to support a a couple that could go over and lead and and it wouldn't be practical for them to come visit Eugene as much as uh, a place like Corvallis or Salem could because they're so close. So we wanted a couple that could go and actually lead and um, be able to be more trained in the ministry and have experience in the ministry. So we wanted to support them with a salary. So uh, looking at that now, uh, right now we're still paying half. So we probably put out about 25,000 a year for Bend right now. And to get that started, you probably could add another uh, uh, 15 to 20,000 onto that that first uh, few months to get it going and get the the one-year challenge housings going. And that's where that contribution from Boise really stepped in. Because obviously being a smaller church in in, in Eugene, we just can't uh, uh, underwrite everything uh, that was all the needs involved. So having Boise step in and and significantly contribute to that, those first uh, few months bills were significant, huge. Just awesome what you did there. Now, okay, so 25000 a year. Are both the man and the woman working, one working? Like, how's that? They both supported, or that's not a lot of money. So what we did um, for this first year is we kept the sister there on as an administrator for the four churches. And so we paid her from Eugene. So Eugene, that we didn't figure that amount in there for I you, see. right okay. there. But okay. um, and then so, so she, that's probably another like twelve, thirteen thousand okay. a year. And um, now uh, that is what is changing because uh, she is going to be paid, uh, start to be paid by the Bend Church as a woman's ministry leader. And um, it will again; these are small sums. Everybody is sacrificial. Uh, she will be paid like $750 a month, uh, which is really little, right? But it's the joy uh, to her of service. She's a very talented girl. Um, And her husband um, is, uh, uh, you know, he's wonderful and wants to support uh, his wife in every way. Uh, in what she's doing uh, in the ministry. So it's it's a really nice dynamic over there. There's a lot of respect, uh, even though she's not going to be paid as much or whatever. Right. It's not about the money. I hope that's the message people hear right now. It is really not about the money. Uh, I, one of my favorite chapters on this matter is First Corinthians, Corinthians 9, uh, where Paul just talks about he worked, uh, it worked some, he didn't work. Right. Uh, the point was the gospel would go out. That's right. And and I think when you have leaders who are taking less money than they could make in the world and they're not doing it begrudgingly and look at me, I'm so wonderful. This is just, I want to do it. Um, it really inspires everybody. Mm-hmm. So we have not had problems financially in these five years. It, 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 people that have sit, sat on our board uh, have really marveled at this because we really don't talk about money very much. I think God has, not that we shouldn't talk about money. I think we do talk about it when we're studying or, you know, but it's not the focus. The focus is what's the need? What are we trying to accomplish here? And how can it be done? And then people rise to that. The couple in uh, Bend uh, makes more than what, we only give about half their salary. Um, 
But because a number of families joined the Bend team, accepted jobs in Bend because there was a church being planted there, um, and some, some families joined that had very uh, established careers and it was to big companies, and they're able to support uh, uh, at least half of all that right now, and they, they have a goal to be self-supporting soon. So they get a, a salary that's uh, able to keep them you know fairly comfortable right now. It, it's we planted it with the idea that hey, we'll start with this, and as the church grows, your salary will grow, mm-hmm. and that's been what's happening um, already. And uh, so it was a relief to, to Eugene to have so many couples join the original team of right. families that could help support at least half of everything right off the bat. So I mean, it helped us. Who wouldn't want to move to Bend? It's such a nice place. I know. <laughs> and that's part of how the Holy Spirit let the spaghetti stick, because one of the couples then committed were going to be moving to Bend, who could be very instrumental in supporting the church and being sort of a mom and pop. And then God added besides. Uh, he just always outdoes what you think. Yeah, there's a uh, single brother that took a job in Bend a number of months before the planting, but he has a PhD in chemistry and he had a really good job there um, with a company in Bend. And he took the job because he knew the church would be planted there in a certain number of months from the time he took it. Whereas otherwise he felt like he couldn't take it because uh, there wouldn't have been the church there. But because it was be planted soon, he went ahead and took it at the position and he's able great. to mm-hmm. help the church in many ways. He helps with their board. He uh, is a great uh, giver uh, sacrificially and cheerfully. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. he's a great part of the congregation. So it was amazing to see those kind of things happen mm-hmm. as, uh, as the announcements and uh, news went out about uh, the planting in Bend. That's so awesome. Okay. We, we need to go ahead and wrap it up. Any final words, any final advice to a person that wants to make a difference with this life? They, they, they want to live a no regrets life. That's clearly what you guys are doing in your life situation. Any, any parting shots? Yes, I would, I would encourage that brother or that sister to go ahead and give a call to somebody they feel like is, uh, is doing something they would like. Like when Cheryl saw that, that retired couple that got to go to uh, Flagstaff, Arizona and be kind of mom and pop for the, uh, Northern Arizona university, uh, group of, of Christians that were, were there and needed something, uh, a fellowship there, go ahead and, and dream a little and call, make some, make some uh, phone calls to, uh, to some other Christians doing things that you think you would like to do. Right. And then make some phone calls to God and say, God, I really want to do this. <laughs> show me how to work out the finances. Show me how to work out the logistics. I want to do this. We want to do this. Our family wants to do this. Show us how to do this because we feel inspired. We've gotten inspired uh, and we want to figure out how to do it. That's yeah. great. Yeah, and I'd say uh, if you're older and feel like, oh, I don't know, it just sounds like a lot of work, it's so worth it. You're not too old. Right. Do it. That's great. That's great. Now, Kelly, you mentioned that someone else is going to be leading the church in Eugene. Do you guys have plans to go somewhere else? What's going on there? Well, um, our plans, we're looking at this, is Cheryl is Cheryl's retiring from full-time medicine. The plan is next April 30th. Wow. So next okay. year. And we are very much looking forward to this uh, because what we like to do is each summer, uh, we would like to go for about three months along with a team to go plant a church in Oregon and stay with them during that summer, those three months. And after three months, turn it over to the mom and pop and the rest of the group. And we head back to Eugene and spend the next nine months working on the next planting. And then that following summer, go three months with that one. So, and to be here to support the team, uh, you know, the Eugene church and the, uh, Dan and Stacy Lauterbach, who we hope to be handing things over. He should be appointed evangelist here in September or so of this year. 
and we're looking forward to uh, this happening where we can be sort of just able to hit the road and plant some of these churches in the, the summertime and come back and work on the next one. That is so awesome. I am so jealous. I just go, that is awesome. Way to go. I, I, that's so encouraging. Wow. That's just, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier for you guys and for the state of Oregon. So that's exciting. That's, that's an inspiration. Hey, uh, Kelly and Cheryl, thank you so much for your time on the Rob Skinner podcast. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much. And I want to thank you for listening today to Kelly and Cheryl Boyd from Eugene, Oregon. And thanks for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoyed the program, I'd like to ask you to share it with your friends, your family, and subscribe to the podcast. Have a great day and make this life count. Thank you.